1: culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: Let's return to one of the most controversial decisions yet made by the Albanese Labour government. Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wongs announced just recently that the Australian government would revert back to an earlier position turning away from recognition of West Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The decision has received condemnation from Jewish leaders, but also has received praise from the Palestinian terrorist group called Hamas. Let's get some insights around the importance of this whole situation. Hugh Kitson is a well known Australian author and documentary maker, including the popular Whose Land documentary. Hugh Kitson, uh, welcome along to 2020.
1: It's good to be talking with you, Neil.
0: Hugh, this story doesn't go away easily because even if it was an inadvertent error of our government, being praised by terrorist groups doesn't sit easily and might have some alarm bells ringing.
1: Well, I think that gives you some idea of what the battle for Jerusalem uh, and recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's eternal and undivided capital is all about. It It is um, that the Palestinian entities, including Hamas, actually want to have it Rhine, so to speak, and certainly the ancient uh, Jewish capital, uh, which is the old city of Jerusalem, politically known as East Jerusalem, um, and uh, they want the whole of it. And really what it is a battle all about is... Um, in Scripture, it's the city of the great king. That's in Psalm 48, verse 2. And the Lord Jesus also talked about it um, in Matthew 5:35. Uh, he called it the city of the great king and, of course, referring to himself. And let me say this, that Jesus is not going to return to Jerusalem as the capital of an Islamic-Palestinian state He is going to return as Israel's king to rule from the throne of David. So behind all of this, there is a spiritual battle. But what's happening uh, in Australia with uh, the Albanese government is that they appear, maybe inadvertently, I hope inadvertently, to be um, siding with, uh, with the Palestinians on this, and siding uh, with Islam against the uh, Lord's um, in t- uh, declared purposes for his return. So I think behind all of that, one needs to see that.
0: I wonder, have you got some thoughts here? Because when governments make this sort of decision, as the Australian government has, uh, perhaps that they have got some suggestion in mind that their decision may help further the aspiration for a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians. And so when we say inadvertent, perhaps, error, that's what they might be aspiring to. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, the two-state solution, so-called, uh, in in uh, Eretz Israel, which is the land west of the Jordan River to the sea, um, An Arab state has been proposed and offered on at least five occasions that I can think of, going back to 1937 as a result of uh, Britain's Peel Commission, then in 1947, and then after the Oslo Accords uh, in the year 2000, 2008 and 2009. And... The Arabs, whether they're called Palestinians or or whatever, and actually Palestinians are Arabs, they've rejected it each and every time. And on most occasions, they've resulted to violence as well. So um, the whole idea of a two-state solution is just pie in the sky. And that is really the nub of the whole thing that the Australian government and the Western nations need to come to realise, and the policy seems to be certainly as far as the Albanese government is to try and put pressure on to Israel, um, basically to bow over. But it's never going to work. You can you can offer them uh, the only thing that would satisfy the Palestinians, uh, and I'm talking about Hamas and uh, and Fatah, the the Palestinian Authority. Is that if they were offered the whole of uh, Eretz Israel, and the Jews were simply shipped out, that's the only thing uh, that would um, uh, uh, that would bring an end to that conflict. But then, of course, you'd have absolute chaos. But um, really, the the Western nations need to put um, uh, to put pressure on the Palestinians, and the best way of doing that is to take the so-called two-state solution right off the table. They couldn't govern themselves anyway.
0: The two-state solution, it does appear to be an international aspiration, but what I can hear you say is that a two-state solution has been offered many a time but it could never be accepted because the Palestinians could never abide by conditions, conditions that they won't wipe out the Israelis. Is that the main condition and main uh, talking point that you might bring up when you're talking about why?
1: Yes, yes, it would, certainly in the context of the um, so-called peace process. And, and really, the two-state solution has become, uh, for the want of a better word, a sacred cow and uh, that sacred cow actually does need to be slaughtered.
0: Now, along with the backtracking on recognition of West Jerusalem... There was an earlier decision, too, that somehow or other snuck through uh, where the foreign minister, Penny Wong, reportedly uh, announced a doubling of funding to UNRWA, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, from $10 million that was cancelled under the former government and then now has been doubled under the present government. Now, what are the concerns about that organisation?
1: Well, UNRWA needs to be disbanded because actually, what it's um, it's, doing—it's a UN agency, as you know—and it has actually been perpetuating the whole conflict. Um, UNRWA is uh, supposedly a refugee or an agency to the refugees, and um, there is another uh, agency to the refugees, the UNHCR. and that uh, agency only recognizes a refugee while they're actually displaced. And once they're resettled somewhere, they're no longer refugees. Well, UNWAR has been perpetuating this ever since the War of Independence. And there would have been probably around uh, half a million Palestinian refugees at the end of the war in 1949, And now there are an estimated uh, five to seven million. Many of them are living in uh, places like the USA. There are plenty of them in. in, There are some in Australia, but they're scattered all over the world. Now, many of these so-called refugees actually were born in um, either in well in Israel in the West Bank or in Gaza. Um, They've been born in a place which uh, the world designates as a future Palestinian state. So what what, what of their refugee status? It just doesn't make sense.
0: Of course, where it gets very controversial is where the evidence is presented for payments that are funneled into the hands of families. Of martyred yeah. terrorists, that would be something that rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. Uh,
1: absolutely, and I think um, the Australian government is is actually playing into their hands. But not only that, but the um, the Anwar uh, education system is blatantly anti-Semitic and um, is is really teaching children to hate Jews and even to become so-called martyrs. So, I mean, it's a huge agency, if you don't mind me saying so, of child abuse. And the ones who are suffering actually are the Palestinians themselves.
0: You've researched these things for a long time now, Hugh. I wonder if you've got a thought or two on what you think the Albanese government ought to be doing to contribute to the stability of Israel and peace with the Palestinians.
1: Well, they need to put pressure on both the Palestinian Authority uh, and, and on organisations like UNWAR. And quite frankly, um, even though Palestinians would suffer as a result, Uh, the ordinary Palestinian person, would suffer as a result. They need to actually withdraw funding for any Palestinian entity whatsoever.
0: Well, Hugh, you've been writing about this topic, and uh, there are more articles I know to come. You're also a well-known author and documentary maker. I mentioned the documentary Whose Land at the introduction, I wonder what you explore in your documentary. Have you got an insight for listeners?
1: Well, yes, we look at... um, uh, Part one was released back in 2017 in time for the centenary of the Balfour Declaration, and we did a tour in various cinemas around the Australian capitals at that time. Part two... um, is is still in the making. Uh, Actually, lack of funding is the main thing that's held us up, but we look at the the international law aspect, and what's so interesting is that international law is on Israel's side all the way down the line. We've interviewed uh, uh, seven international lawyers, and we're going to interview a couple more And we're going to look at the various aspects of international law that actually really do give Israel the right of sovereignty over all of Judea, Samaria, and all of Jerusalem as well. So we're looking at it very much from a legal perspective uh, in part two.
0: Well, listeners can access that particular documentary through the website whoseland.tv, and that's where you can connect with Hugh Kitson, well-known Australian author, documentary maker, whoseland.tv. Hugh, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020.
1: Thank you very much, Neil, and God bless you all.